You're listening to the Business of Pharmacy podcast with me, your host, Mike Kelzer. Stan, for those that haven't come across you online, introduce yourself and tell our listeners what we're going to talk about today. I'm Pharmacy Stan, and I'm trying to bring EpiPens to market for $50 or less. My mission is to make healthcare about patients and not shareholders. Stan, right off the bat there, you've got some good hooks, like in the ad industry, which I'm not a part of, but let's pretend that I was. They'd say in the ad industry or in the writing songs that you need a hook. And you threw out two hooks right there. One was a very succinct message that you want to have EpiPens under $50. But the other one was Pharmacy Stan. Yeah. You've named yourself into this stage name of Pharmacy Stan. Out of all the guests I've had, they're all somehow related to pharmacy, at least in my mind they are. But none of them have ever come on and say, I'm Pharmacy Jim or Pharmacy Barbara. Where does that come from in your mind to say, your Pharmacy Stan? So Pharmacy Stan came from, in this transition to using LinkedIn to de- develop a network and an audience um, to get my voice out there and and try to do what I can. I came across a few creators on LinkedIn um, that are not in the pharmacy industry, and they really talked about personal branding. I've been in the industry for 19 years. What would I call myself? Like Stan is already a unique name. So I've been in the industry 19 years. I'm pharmacy Stan. I'm sure that helps get me a lot of profile views. It's interesting because in marketing, sometimes the obvious is not stated. Like, I forget when it was, even a month ago, we had a call. Someone's like, do you fill prescriptions? You know, or something like that. (laughs) In marketing, they always say to show the solution. So the solution of pharmacy is health and of well-being, you know, the happy family and things like that. But sometimes as marketers, we, we forget to say something like, we fill prescriptions and we want to fill your next prescription. Now, I'm not saying that's your frontline message, but sometimes we, we lose that. So pharmacy Stan, that's a great hook. Thank you. Yeah. I, you know, at first I, I remember texting my friend who's um, one of the higher ups at Medley Pharmacy and saying, hey, what do you think about the name Pharmacy Stan? I, I think I want to use this. And he's high up in the food chain as far as, you know, that stuff goes. So I figured whatever he said, I, I would respect that opinion. And he, he said, I love it. And I was like, great. So do I. And I, I just ran with it. I know that I reached out to you, I think, on Twitter. So that's your Twitter handle and probably across the board, too. Yeah. uh, Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I have people who follow me who they ask me my last name. They're like, I follow you as Pharmacy Stan, and I have no idea what your last name is. (laughs) I know the secret now. You know, there's no hiding my last name. It's just LinkedIn cannot accommodate Pharmacy Stan and then put Warren somewhere in in a good place that is still there. You're like the share of pharmacy. I might be dating myself, but what's another first name? You know, Madonna. You know what I mean? You're like the first name of pharmacy where it doesn't (laughs) matter your last name. All right. So Stan, what attracted me to you then, besides the pharmacy Stan, was your other hook. 
And right in your, I don't know, LinkedIn or Twitter, it says your goal is to have $50 EpiPens. And what fascinated me about that is I have no idea in hell if that's possible. But again, it was just a cool hook. So where did that come from? And how did you decide to put that out there, even though you potentially could fail at that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, As far as failure, I mean, right now I haven't succeeded. So I've had investors come to me, but they don't have the same mission as I do. What I thought was cool is you come at it from both angles of being the average Joe on the street, along with someone that had this idea. You know, a lot of times people will only come at this from pharma or they'll bitch about it as a consumer, but you had a nice little combination there to have that hook. And for me, what really, like what really sticks home is how many times in my career, which I've been in retail pharmacy for 19 years now, and I'm 35. So I started at 16. I've seen so many parents with like say three kids get prescriptions for EpiPens for all the kids and only fill one, if any, and hope for the best because it's too expensive to get three EpiPens every year for three children. And then when I started talking to my mom about this and I was asking her, I knew that my, my stepdad, he's allergic to bees. So they have EpiPens and I asked, you know, do you have any expired ones? So I can, you know, send it to my engineer friend and see if we can reverse engineer this and find out like how feasible that would be. Um, and every single EpiPen they had is in the fridge and expired. They have five of them mm-hmm. and they're, you know, they're not hurting for money. So it just really stuck with me that, you know, this is something that people would get, could get behind, you know, get, if we can get it out there. And in the course of really talking about this and, you know, networking, um, I've had, I've been having conversations with friends about it. And then I've had moms come over and hug me out of nowhere, like out at the bar, just because they're so happy by, you know, just somebody wants to do something good. And like I said, I don't know that there's many margins in it and it might fail completely, but at this point I feel obligated to go as far as I can for it. Who would think that EpiPens would be a chick magnet, first of all? (laughs) Uh, It'd be better though if they're single moms and not... (laughs) Not from the school, you know, family night or something like that. (laughs) You know what, Stan, though? I saw this on LinkedIn. You had mentioned Michael Moore. Because I was just going to say, and that probably is what actually got me thinking about this question, is that would be like a cool documentary, like a man on the street seeing how far they can get in the FDA world. Is that what you're doing? Are you recording it? Are you videotaping this? Wouldn't that be cool and go into the FDA, put a camera in their face and they say, get out of here. And you're like, I don't have to. This is my right. You know, all that kind of stuff. Are you doing that? I haven't started yet, but right now it's just been a very big transition phase this this 2022. So we'll see where it goes. There was a part of me the other day that thought about instead of staying in Miami to go to D.C. so that I could really become annoying. Um, but I don't want, I don't want to live in the cold. Nah, right. But I I do think there's a lot of value in what you're, you know, 
Yes, I, I posted something that I would love to do a Michael Moore style documentary on on this. He he did one on it, um, but I wanted to really touch base more on like the pharmacy side presently uh, because of mm-hmm. the working conditions. That's where that came from. You're not a pharmacist. Nope. Sometimes I envy that. Sometimes I almost think like if someone took my license from me that I wouldn't want to do it. You know, sometimes it's easier when, when choices are forced on you though, and you don't have to make them yourself, you know, but there's a cool freedom that someone like you has. And I think also of Antonio Chacha, who's not a pharmacist, but real deep in the, in the pharmacy world. And there's a certain beauty about that freedom to be in the industry yet not maybe be tempted by that job around the corner and have some freedom to do some pretty cool things. Well, you know, uh, tempted by job around the corner. That was me 10 years ago. I started off as a technician, the pharmacy technician at CVS when I was 16 and I worked my way up, um, got my degree in finance. I had wanted to go to pharmacy school, but from one relationship or another, I never went. Mm-hmm. Um, I was supposed to graduate in 2008 originally, and then you know, Great Recession happened, so finance wasn't really looking like a great place to be. And somehow I ended up in pharmacy still. And when I went to leave CVS, my boss, um, I had tra- wanted to go into pharmaceutical sales at the time, and I had actually gotten um, you know an interview and a and an offer if the drug got approved. But my boss at the time told me no when I put in my two weeks notice and she asked me, had I ever considered being a district manager? Hmm. And that was the beginning of when I found out how hard I could work and how much I could handle. Stress or time? Both. Or both? 80 to 90 hours a week for a good two years. And you know, I was young and didn't know how to handle that. So that's ultimately why I ended up divorced. But you know, there's not any ill will against her. It was just how I man, how I couldn't manage the stress because I wasn't prepared for that level. The problem with working more hours, it's kind of like a double whammy because you're working longer hours. There's more on your plate. You have less time to come down after being at work. So it stays on your mind more. It's like those extra hours can be killers. Oh yeah. Um, I think I put in 51 days straight without a day off and I worked as many as 96 hours. One of one day I, my, my future boss um, was supposed to come in and I worked like 21 hours right after working 16 the day before and then showed up for the visit, which he never came for and spent another 12 hours. Those were in store hours, like working as a, technician even though you were the manager it wasn't just all managerial duties right yeah i was a store manager at the time for store manager yeah so i i oversaw the front store and the pharmacy um i spent a lot of time in my pharmacy which kind of because of my background is where i where i loved and you know the front store piece was really just to teach me management skills that i could scale and you know go from being, you know, a store manager to a district manager. And then there was hopes of regional and area vice president at one time. Was there a straw then that broke the back? When did the 80 to 90 hours stop? 
um, in September of 2017. And when my wife, ex-wife asked about divorce, I just, I took time away and hmm. it just, it was time to make a change in life. Yeah. It was forced on you, but then it's like, I'm going to make a change anyways. It's a good sign to make a change then. Yeah. I had made, you know, I had made a lot of mistakes at that age. I was, again, yeah. it's, you're, it's a learning process when you're going from one job to another and then just trying to, yeah. uh, CVS is extremely metric driven, as many people have mentioned. And so I lived and died by metrics for those 15 years and, you know, did really well. But when you're always trying to be in the top three, you know, top three, um, it, it definitely can be brutal on, on, on how you manage your stress. And I was only doing that because I was chasing the next title, the next paycheck, because I'm not a pharmacist and because, you know, I was trying to make up for that salary difference that uh, came along with not being a banker, but also not being a pharmacist. What is the carrot they put out there to keep you at those kind of hours that you mentioned at the title and maybe some more money? Yeah, because when uh, once you become a district manager, then you're making a pharmacist salary with a bonus that can be quite a bit larger. They would have you up at a pharmacist salary, even though you're not a pharmacist, but you're in that managerial role. Yeah, because at that point, you're overseeing 20 stores. You manage the store level, but it would be another step or two to get up to managing all the different stores. I was in the leadership program, so I was I was about a year away. What kind of a life would that be with 20 stores? Um, Maybe less because you're not doing actually the, the, with all due respect, the grunt work in the store. For the most part, you're going around and telling people that they're not meeting objectives and <laughs> trying to find out why. And you, you know why, especially if you're not far removed from the store, you know. You know why. But you got to play the game. Right. And you have to find a way to connect and communicate with the pharmacists and tell them, you know, hey, uh, look, I'm still a cog in the wheel at, at the district. Like the district manager and, and you know, potentially in the next couple of steps still take orders from way above them. Um, so I'm just the messenger. I'm good at that going around and telling my kids they're not cleaning up and stuff like that. But <laughs> I was talking to... I forget who it was, someone a month ago or so. And oh, I knew who it was. It was Bled. Yeah, Bled to know. I was talking to Bled, and she was saying that her managers were not pharmacists, which was kind of news to me. And now you're saying that too, that from the other side, that you could have, would have been a manager going and talking to pharmacists. Yeah, they don't ideally like to do that, and they've really gotten away from it over more recent years, but just given my, you know, tenure as a technician, at least pharmacists in my district weren't apprehensive about the idea because I did know what I was talking about. I wasn't telling them how to run the business on a clinical portion. I was just from an operational standpoint. Here's the problem. I think when you've got different responsibilities in the pharmacy that are not always going in the same exact direction. Here's what I'm talking about. I had a pharmacist in charge about five years ago. I put this person in place when I was 
well, I didn't want to be at the pharmacy. I didn't like the stress. I didn't like a lot of stuff. And I was able just to not be there so much. And so I don't know if that was a good choice or not, but I, I worked a lot off site, managed a lot off site. And the problem with putting another pharmacist in charge there, that's not tied into the finances of the business is that they don't have as much regard for how long stuff takes. Like a C2 order would come in, you know, and instead of doing it some other way that I would think of to do it more efficiently, they would do it almost in the longest way possible, you know, right. check it three times, do this, do that, make the customer wait for a inordinate amount of time. And they had no regard for that financial part or even the customer waiting and it didn't work out very well i when i came back in i'm glad that role was mine again in a way because and i don't i don't blame them so much i mean they have their license on the line but when your license on the line the anxiety goes up and when the anxiety goes up they check and double check and triple check and it's kind of a it's not a good recipe Without that financial like liability in the game, it's just it's really hard to get them to to operate, you know, in the best interest of the business. Unless you really break down every reason why it's important. And it's interesting you say that about not having the best interest in mind, because normally when people say that, they're usually talking about an employee that's you know not smiling and rude and all that kind of stuff. And this was almost like the other direction that was like too detailed, too much of that thought. It was from that anxiety, but yes, what you say is right on both sides. You're not looking at it like an owner does. It's easy in society now for people in certain positions of authority to fall into the trap of having too much caution. When your neck's on the line and you're in some authoritative role, they're always going to lean towards more caution. And the example I give is like once in a while I would swim, you know, like at the high school pools right. and stuff like that. And if you're the custodian in charge of the pool, you know, or the pool boy, as I like to call him, um, <laughs> if, you're, if you're in charge of the pool... <laughs> You're going to get in trouble for having the water green. Right. You're not going to get in trouble for looking around and throwing another couple cups of chlorine in there, you yeah. know, because erring on the side of caution is like, I don't blame people. I don't want to get fired for green water. Who's going to complain that much? You might complain about chlorine being too high, but you can kind of shrug it off as being a chemical, you know, reaction or something like that. So that's a struggle with manager versus owners and then you throw pharmacists in the mix there too that can be a crazy mix now everybody's afraid of everything being political so we're making everything even more difficult to act on um i know even in my posting on linkedin you know i look at healthcare very apolitical yeah and it's very difficult to talk about all the current subjects without getting in, you know, being baited into conversations. Sure. So it's, it's become frustrating. And uh, it's even on LinkedIn, I've had to learn to stay away from engaging in any conversation about things that can get political. Yeah. I've had some people 
propose a show to me like an episode and it's like they'll say I want to do this and this and I want to then discuss this and I'm like eh. <laughs> not, not at this time you know and on LinkedIn you know I I bop in with my stuff about the show when I'm out of there because it can get I haven't seen a ton of it on LinkedIn certainly Facebook is like crazy with ideologues but LinkedIn I you haven't seen too much but you know I just don't look a lot for it you know I try to stay off the other social media. LinkedIn is really the only platform that I'm active on. I try to get off all the social medias, but all the cat pictures just keep drawing me back. <laughs> how, how many cats do you have? None. Cats suck. The only good cat is a cat in sausage. When I was a kid, we had cats in our family and it's like, I still remember, you know, those old parka, you might be too young for this old parka coats. They had the fake fur on top. I had yeah. this dark blue and it was orange on the inside, you know, a, a very right. matching combo, you know, and <laughs> I'd put it on, I'd be like a halfway to school walking a mile and I start smelling, you know, ammonia, you know, and I'd smell oh. and it'd be cat pee all over the place. It's kind of cool to see a cat, how they like walk like lions and stuff. But it's like, thankfully, my wife is um, allergic to them. And that, you don't have a cat, do you? With Joe Exotic and Tiger King, we're, <laughs> we're staying away from cats. I can't get those memories out of my head. And then sometimes you'd be watching TV and Mittens, you know. Her name was Mittens. You can imagine what she looked like, black with white paws and... She was never declawed, which I don't think you're supposed to do nowadays. But then she'd like run up our drapes, you know, at our house, the curtains, mm -hmm. and she'd get stuck up there. <laughs> and I'm I'm thinking just leave her there, you know, but then, you know, you'd have to get up and pick her up and stuff like that. <laughs> so, all right, Stan, on your LinkedIn, you call yourself, besides pharmacy, Stan, you call yourself a disruptor. Where does pharmacy need to be disrupted in your mind? At every single level of the supply chain. If there's a current entity out there that is difficult or you know creates unfair practices against smaller businesses, there needs to be equal businesses starting to create competition and you know eliminate that barrier. The problem is, though, Stan, with that is that you got all the lobbyists that are working on these politicians and they start, what I've seen, they start making these laws and these fees. Well, you know, you're talking about it with the EpiPen, you know, it's like they put these huge laws in place, these huge fees in place. I think a lot of the that VAWD VOD, I'm not real familiar with that, but I know it made a lot of uh, smaller wholesalers harder to Correct. start up or compete or something like that. And so they make it so hard. It's hard to break into any of that, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, if they get to if they have the ear of the most powerful lobbyists and they get the ear of the politicians and they can pay to get their message into all the media. You know, you often see Wall Street Journal and Business Insider, they quote PICMA. And, you know, that's what the public thinks is real because that's who got their message into the, into the media that the public reads. Yeah. Um, 
they don't believe that there's an issue with the number of independent pharmacies declining or, you know, they believe that it's pharma that is the cause of high drug prices. When you talk supply chain, you're talking from the wholesalers all the way through to the manufacturers and probably even the raw products, right? And all of that can be disrupted. Right. Because you think of like the pharmacy supply chain and you have like, you know, usually you think of it as, okay, from the manufacturer, then it goes to the wholesaler, um, then it goes to the pharmacy, the PVM takes their cut, they kind of jack the price up. And then, you know, the patient gets this end result, which they get the super inflated price. However, on the pharma side, which I've learned in my in this experience with trying to create this EpiPen company, or um, they also have a whole supply chain process. We're going to have a runoff on this. I'm going to ask you two questions, then you have to pick the best. Okay. Right now, I say, Stan, in regards to making some change in pharmacy or healthcare, not necessarily EpiPen itself, but just some cool changes for the the world in pharmacy. And I say, Stan, you can have any private position at any company, any level, private as a non-governmental, any level to make changes. I want to know the position in the company that you would go to, and then what political position would you take? And then we're going to go for the runoff. And then which one of those two would you like to have? I would become the CEO of PICMA. You'd be the CEO of the pharmacy, what, lobbying group for the PBMs. Right. And I would sabotage it my best that I could until they kicked me out. Uh, they pay very well, so I'd get paid pretty well until they told me to get take a hike. You'd go in and sabotage them. Um. I don't know. That might be an answer that I rushed. That's a pretty good one, though. Here's what I hate about PICMA is that I always picture like a 60-minute interview, you know, with, um, I don't know who's... J.C. Scott? I don't know who that is. I kind of like the one gal. The CEO. Huh? Oh, the CEO of PICMA. Oh, no, I'm thinking about the... <laughs> I'm the better side. Barbara Walters. But not Barbara Walters. Who's the one I kind of like? She's blonde. What's her name? I gotta figure that out here. It's um not Barbara Walters, Leslie Stahl. Uh I kinda like Leslie Stahl. All right, so Leslie Stahl is across from you know, financial people, she's across from manufacturers, you know, and she can just nail people on a question because it's relatively simple, you know. For finance why do you have people in in this mutual fund instead of this one you know there's a three percent difference and you know food thing how did you let this out and it had e coli in it or something like that and i just like watching these people squirm but with picma or something they've done such a good job of smoke and mirrors that Leslie wouldn't even know what question to ask. She couldn't even begin with them. That's a problem of their opaqueness. Right. The industry is too complex for most people to really 
ask questions and understand the practical application. That's why, you know, I'm open to sharing any and all of my ideas because good luck executing them. Like, I'm not afraid of anyone stealing anything that I have to say. And plus, I encourage competition, so. Sometimes I'll, I'll be watching a football game and I ask myself, what position as an old fart like me, what position could I go out there with and not be found out the longest? You know, so it's like they pull me from the stands and they say, hey, this position guy just dropped dead. Here's his uniform. You have to go out and pretend you're this starting player. And I, I'm trying to think, which one I could be maybe like, I don't know. I could say like a defensive tackle, but I'm too small for that. I could say like a middle linebacker, but I'm a chicken and I'm too slow. I don't know what position, you know what I would be. I got it. I would be the onside kicker <laughs> because <laughs> that's as far as I can kick it anyways. You know, you know, 10, 12 yards, it'd be perfect. I'd be a fat ass out there. I I know I wouldn't fit their pants. You know, I'd be busting at the seams. And You're talking to the wrong guy. I'm, you know, I'm 5'11 and 160 pounds. So I'm not, not a large guy to be out there for many positions other than running and, you know, hoping that my defensive line took all the hits for me. <laughs> all right, Stan, if you fall into the PICMA mode, all right, you're the PICMA CEO. I wonder how long you could like fake it and also sabotage them. Probably not all that long in reality. It probably wouldn't get very far. You'd have to stay there long enough to really sabotage them though. And now that I've made my presence online, I, c I could never actually do it technically. <laughs> yeah, they'd say, here's our new CEO, Pharmacy Stan. You'd be the undercover boss, you know, you'd have to put some kind of a cheesy mustache on or whatever cheesy PBM CEOs look like. Hey, JC Scott and I have already had some, some interactions that, you, have? you know, yeah, I posted on my LinkedIn when I was pretty unknown at the time. And I posted calling them out about the discrepancy and the number of independent pharmacies. And, it, you know, again, we had a, a civil conversation because I, I know that like, you can't just, it, you know, you only get one chance to speak to a lot of these people. Right. Right. And I think Scott Newman said this already. And, uh, you know, I think I've already worn out my one chance with JC because he saw more posts and comments about PICMA and, and I think he blocked me. But there's no harm, no foul, because I don't think we're going to come to any kind of agreements and, and make the world better. He doesn't necessarily want that. On the show, I always want to paint people in a good light. You know, I don't want to embarrass them. It's I'm not Leslie Stahl after all, but... I couldn't have anybody on. It just wouldn't feel right, you know, to not lay into them, even though I wouldn't. So I just can't have them on. Right. So Stan, all right, now political, what position would you have? Um, and you can be president if you want to. No, I would want either the drugs are either that or some like probably head of FDA. Yeah, I, I find it embarrassing that as the leading industrialized nation that 60% of all new drugs that are approved are actually just line extensions of drugs that already exist. 
the biggest problem with healthcare is is what I would say. You know, the first one of the first like three hooks that I gave you. You know, my mission is about making patients the priority over shareholders. Um, what do eight iterations of the same drug do to progress humanity or cure any kind of diseases or conditions? It, it doesn't. So we need to change the incentive of where, you know, if they want it to be so profitable and take bonuses that are 20 to $100 million a year, they should have to have similar to, you know, pharmacies have these performance networks that were established with us. Pharma should also have some sort of, you know, the FDA or some overseeing agency should say, hey, like you can only bonus out your executives if you guys do something that is actually good for humankind every year. I don't know the difference really between the FDA guy and the drugs are, but I would, I don't even know what the hell a czar is, but I'd like to be a czar. I'd like to tell, my wife would be proud of me if I came home and I said, I'm a czar now. <laughs> I'm a czar. I don't think I'd get the same reaction. What is a czar? Is that like the all-knowing, is that like Oz? A czar? Oh, the czar was like the Russian, like, totalitarian leader term. I don't know why we call that czar. position. Like the, the drug policy like person is the drug czar. Yeah. It just sounds like, you know, with given our um, our relationship with Russia, that's not something we'd want. Of the two then, Stan, are you going to take the political route? We're pretending here. In your life, are you going to take the political route or the business CEO route? I would lean on the political route because I feel that at some point the business route, it's the same reason, like the same reason I didn't go to pharmacy school. I had learned how to be a tech. And I, at one point I saw if I went to pharmacy school, the only difference is really that I would be checking the product in the bottle. And this is before like clinical pharmacy was, you know, more, more avenues were really like well-known. But I tend to lead the idea that, you know, if you're persistent in your business endeavors, you should at least accomplish them to some degree. So at some point you'll want something more and like that, you know, what's more is to have influence. Um, So if we keep going down this road and we have a few if, if any of these companies become real or just, you know, the continued efforts um, put me in a good place, I, I can see some version of politics, but not like a state. Ele- I don't want to be like an elected official. I would only want to be like somebody that's in healthcare policy for politics. Well, Stan, boy, thanks for hanging out with us and, and keep making those hooks. We'll be watching. Thanks for having me, Mike. Despite all the negative connotations that have come with the pandemic in terms of vaccines and mask mandates, I also think it's great that there's this new interest in investment into healthcare and the pharmacy space. Um, right now, it's still at its like infancy stages, uh, meaning it's cool to invest as long as there's high return on investment. But I think where we're going to see, you know, society go is that at some point we can make it as sexy to invest in a company that's going to bring 15 million EpiPens to users for $50 or less, for example. 
that being just as sexy as having a 10 or 100x return on your investment because the social good of people is arguably more valuable than any currency or resource. It seems like one of the overarching thoughts is like, I guess, transparency in, in these companies and in politics and all that. And I think the internet is certainly helping with that social and the internet, you know, there's things that we all know now that we didn't know even, you know, three years ago, as far as on the negative side, you know, I guess, guess it is a lot of negative stuff, corruption and, and all the stuff that was hidden by the smoke and mirrors. And I think the internet and conversations like this, you know, that we can delve into some of that stuff is helpful. A CEO always has to work on profit, but I'd rather see them working on profit when I can see some of the sausage being made. Not all of it, because they have private corporate secrets, but at least it'd be nice to know stuff like how much was the raw drug in this. And in the FDA, who allowed this to happen? And where are the records from the czar? Just <laughs> seeing all this stuff, not seeing a corporate secret, but just all the stuff around it that was hard to find before. And now that you can find it, it's like, it doesn't make corruption go away, but it cleans up a lot of stuff. Yeah, you, you would think that, but, you know, there's still a law in place that was put in, that was put on the books that allows all litigation to between certain pharma companies or like the Department of Justice to be sealed after the case. So then you can't go back and look at it to, you know, it's another example of being opaque. Well, and right there, though, it's like, I didn't know that. And so now, after this show comes out, I and my black lab then will know that this happen, you know, and maybe a few other people. So that helps with that transparency, just picking up the bits and pieces. It would be really awesome if, you know, there were positions that were just investigative journalism to dig up all the secrets and smoke and mirrors that have been created and kind of trace them to who put them in place, where the money was coming from, etc. We can't make it too easy. We got to have it fun for us still. We need some smoky mirrors. Keep it exciting. One of Benjamin Jolly's episodes, and he was talking about it, that essentially playing the game and playing it well will still make the PBMs win because they have it, you know, set in their favor no matter what. If it was that easy, it might have happened already. So I think it's just got to be um, a lot of communication between all the different angles that we can attack anything that needs to be attacked and uh people use their skill and desire and just you know, attack whatever it is from different angles and we pick on the pbm on this show but the pbms arguably aren't killing us you know it's cancers and heart disease and suicide and all kinds of stuff so ultimately we pick our lanes and pick our skills and we all keep fighting PBMs aren't putting pharmacies out of business unless they're putting a pharmacy out of business who's not willing to play the game or to, to you know, adopt modern business practices. All right, Stan. Nice meeting you. It was great to meet you, Mike. Every once in a while, I'm going to see those hooks and I'm going to say, oh, golly, Stan did it again. <laughs> the next time we'll have to talk about the EpiPen company is actually called Nude Pharma and 
that's the play on transparency. And I have this whole viral social media campaign to, I essentially put people behind big white poster boards with the impression that we're naked. They can be wearing bathing suits or something behind. And then on the poster would say something like, you know, my father had to wait for a prior authorization for surgery. And instead, three days later, he died. Why did he have to wait? Hashtag, we have nothing to hide, nudepharma.com. And then try to get people to share their stories of where the, the healthcare system has failed them. And to, you know, post these pictures that promote this body positivity. And like, you know, I don't care if I'm a small guy, a big guy, you know, uh, you know, man, woman, you know, whatever you identify as, whatever you are, you have nothing to hide. And that's the appearance, you know, the transparency part. Stan, we have to leave a teaser out there, a hook. Sounds great, Mike. All right, Stan, we'll talk again soon. Thanks for all you do. It was very nice to meet you. Thank you for having me. Likewise. Thanks a lot, Stan. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Business of Pharmacy podcast with me, your host, Mike Kelzer. Please subscribe for all future episodes.